Hey, my name's Weston Womp. I'm the host of Swamp Stories, a podcast presented by Issue One that dives into political reform with a bipartisan lens, exploring the problems facing our democracy and offering solutions. Here, elected officials, activists, and experts from across the political spectrum discuss issues ranging from slush funds in Congress and dark money to gerrymandering and election disinformation, and importantly, how to fix America's broken political system and build a better democracy. Find Swamp Stories wherever you get podcasts or at swampstories.org. Skeptics is, is in some ways a training ground for the way we could interact with the rest of the world on a daily basis. If we, if we use those things we learn in this group outside the world, then certainly we can make the world a better place. The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is Vanessa Rouse. Thanks for joining us for this unique God Squad episode where the skeptics have their say. The Skeptics are a group of politically and spiritually diverse people who've been meeting once a week for many years now. They forged deep friendships by gathering regularly to discuss spiritual topics in a respectful manner where disagreement is both welcomed and appreciated. So listen, here's why I love this episode so very much. This is another opportunity for us to see how regular people like you and me are doing bridge building work in their own communities. And really, I hate to even call it work because quickly you're going to see how this belongs in the fun category. So lucky us, today we get to spend an hour with a few of the skeptics who share about their experiences and also give us a blueprint for doing something like this in our own lives. This program is facilitated by our very own founder and president, Liz Joyner. Liz will introduce you to the rest of the group, so time for me to turn it over to her. Here's Liz. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Liz Joyner, founder and president of the Village Square, and we're thrilled to welcome you this afternoon to the God Squad host, The Skeptics Have Their Say. The Skeptics is a do-it-yourself lay version of God Squad, which is why we started thinking about inviting them to join us today. They're a group of politically and spiritually diverse men who've been meeting once a week for years and years in some um, secret location that for some reason they're not telling us where it is. Um, maybe we can get it out of them today. Um, and they head right at their disagreements. Um, they, they celebrate their differences and really in many ways they've formed incredible friendships around their differences over the years. It is now my pleasure to introduce the Village Square's own Bill Maddox, both a veteran of more God Squad programs than he would care to remember, and a member of the Skeptics. Uh, also, former NACO president and Leon County Commissioner Brian Deloge, Matt McCreelis, and last but definitely not least, which you will find out soon enough, Fred Harris, shareholder at Greenberg Torg. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, Liz. Thank you, Liz. It's great to be a part of this. It is great to be with all of y'all this afternoon. Brian, I'm going to ask you the first question. Sure. So when and how did this group get started? And then to anyone as a follow-up, why do you call it skeptics? Okay. So we started the debate is probably 20 years ago, give or take. Um, there were four of us that had all gotten some business awards, businessmen here in town, and we had kind of a little coffee clatch group and and a couple of us said, you know, there are plenty of Bible studies in town. There are plenty of prayer groups in town. There's not a place where men can go talk about their faith in an environment that's 
open and respectful and a chance to, I mean, I tell people when I explain skeptics, if you're going to get your feelings hurt, this is not the place for you. Because frankly, it's a little bit of, of hand-to-hand combat at points. Um, and so we, I started meeting in my office originally, which is long since gone. Um, and it's um, seven o'clock on Wednesday mornings was the original. And, you know, we have from 10 to 40 guys any given Wednesday. But the first book we used as a primer was called Letters to a Skeptic. And it was a book about a minister in his 40s. His father was in his 70s and his father was an atheist. And, he, in a, and it's a compilation of correspondence between the son, the minister and the father, the atheist saying, dad, you're coming into the home stretch and I'm worried about your salvation. And the father would ask questions like, well, if your God is so great, why do bad things happen to good people? It's a classic questions when you start looking at religion and faith. How do you wrestle with this? So we would take a chapter a week. We would usually start with a prayer and with a prayer. And we've integrated music over the years. Um, and it's interesting because the, the, the friendships that have evolved out of this that you would never have expected from different parts of the community. Um, and it's broadened over the years. We've done um, religions of the world. We've done all sorts of different things. And today we have a very diverse group that's there. And I'll tell one story and kind of go shut up for a little while. But Rabbi Romberg was oftentimes one of our early contributors, you know, and so we brought him in and said, Rabbi, you know, a lot of us don't understand the Jewish faith. Could you talk to us about death or could you talk to us about whatever? So the first time he came and we had 15 or 20 people, and he went on for about half an hour. And, you know, it was pretty interesting. And one of the skeptics named Steve basically said, Rabbi, this is the most self-serving, sanctimonious uh, 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 discussion I've ever heard. It's offensive. And I thought, oh, Jack is my friend. I invited him to come here. And he stepped right back into the fray and said, I've been baiting you guys for half an hour. How do you think the Jews have felt all of our lives type of thing? And then <laughs> off off to the races. And so, and that kind of encapsulates, you know, it's the kind of discussion you can open it up and say, and nobody feels like, uh, and, you, you know, we share a lot of feelings about how we come to faith and what we believe in. And over the years it's evolved, but it's a fascinating study. And the books we've done, we've done uh, books by atheists. We've had, um, and we have an atheist in the group that comes pretty regularly who's a very intellectual guy and he has an opinion and, and he's entitled to it. And we really, it's, it's been an, an interesting evolution. So the rest of you throw in just anything you all have to say about, about what Brian said, including disagreeing with him. I'll just simply say that for me, because I'm often asked this question is why are you as a strong, you know, believer, why are you involved in a group called skeptics? And I say, we want to create an environment that is skeptic friendly, that is open to anyone who, you, you know, we don't make any kind of preconceived expectations of people. And in a lot of ways, I think we approach things. I mean, my background is in, in journalism and I've spent a lot of time writing about education. So I'm around people in academia a lot. And in both environments, my training in journalism taught me you should always be skeptical about anything that anyone presents to you and test and see and go and get both sides and hear from different perspectives. And I think that's also kind of something that you see a lot in the academic world. And so in that sense, I think that's a lot of what we're doing here is we are considering ideas that are coming from a lot of different vantage points and testing them and seeing whether they hold hold up or whether or not they're half-baked, as some of Fred's are, right, Fred? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to educate these people, but uh, there's a lot of crazy here. Neanderthals are, are, are rampant in this group. So, <laughs> Well, and it's, I'll tell you, there's a, there's a number of people that are pretty prolific and I think they have too much time. And they, there's an email chain that often erupts <laughs> after some of the meetings that goes on for, I would say, hundreds of pages. I lose track trying to keep up. And if you just read the emails, oftentimes you would think that the tone is combative and divisive and it's hilarious and it's just friends poking at each other and saying, well, that's a ridiculous assume, assumption because of this. And then they go off on some other rabbit trail, depending on their background and their faith. Um, 
but it's an, it's, I mean, it's the kind of discussion we should be having if it's, it's educational and it helps us better understand, you know, our faith. In many cases, it strengthens where we are. We, so, we live in a world of, go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say, we live in a world of far too many echo chambers and skeptics is not an echo chamber. And at first it threw me off. Some of the discussion was hostile in the, in the, in the meetings. And I thought, wow, these guys, you know, but it would simmer back down. Everybody would, uh, friends at the end. And um, once I realized that some of the passion comes from a, you know, a sincere desire to, to uh, share with me their personal beliefs, then I realized that any, any the discussion that got hostile was actually not from a place of hostility, but from a place of love and, and concern for me and my welfare and my well-being. And I, I think, like Bill said, if we, we spend too much time not getting those uh, calluses by testing our faith and testing our positions, then, then we, we don't strengthen ourselves. And then, then when, those, uh, when that hard work comes down the road of trying to have our faith tested, then we're really in trouble because we haven't built up those, those calluses on our hands and our, and our feet to, to protect us. So what's the difference between like, so, so it gets kind of hot and heated sometimes, especially on the email thread. Why does that work with skeptics and it doesn't work on Twitter? That's a really, really good question. And, and I am convinced that part of it is because we are there in person and we have ongoing, enduring relationships. And in, in, in a lot of settings where you see talking heads on TV and things like that, um, who are engaged in strong commentary and things of that nature, there's no one there to kind of push back and to challenge them. And, and there's also the, the, the advantage of anonymity. People can kind of, if, if in, tw in Twitter, the Twitter world, you know, there's a back and forth, it's, it's among strangers and nobody knows really um, in one sense, kind of what's behind it all. And what's great about skeptics, I think, is that when there are those kinds of sharp exchanges, we're all in the room. We can call BS on each other, and we can also understand that someone may say something, but as Matt mentioned earlier, it's it's almost always coming from a good place. And at the end of it all, we remain friends. And at times, our friendships are even deepened by the conflict and the clashing that takes place you know, within the group. And the, the evolution, it's interesting because when we first started, I can tell you that it was four Christian guys from fairly similar backgrounds. And then we've expanded, you know, Matt, you know, we've got Mormon, we've got uh, David is Jewish, Fred believe, has the Urantia, and we've got, we had a Quaker for a while. We, we had a little bit of everything. And, you know, like we brought in Rabbi Romberg. Um, which was, I thought, fascinating. And he, he got it real quick and he loved the, the back and forth banner. Um, it, it's, it's evolved and I've learned a ton. And it's and like I said, the, for me personally, watching some of the relationships develop and watching some of the people kind of become better educated, you know, and it's follows. It's very similar to the whole Village Square concept, though, as far as, you know, there, there's it's no hold barred on the subject. It just does not personal, you know, um, and, and you see a lot of that back and forth. It's, it's, it's interesting. So. Was there ever a time when it felt like it was getting a little too, like, like you were skating right next to the edge? There's a couple of people that have pretty sharp edges and, and there have been a couple of people. I, I caution everybody who I've ever invited and said, if you're going to get your feelings hurt, this is not for you. And so you need to be able to take it and understand it's not personal. And there are a few people in the room that have, come at people pretty hard. And I know there are a couple of people that have rolled off over the last 20 years because they felt like I can't stand that. Well, which is too bad because it's an open dialogue. It's not meant to be personal. Um, you know, and if somebody disagrees with you, that's what makes the world go round. So. Um, so um, in the chat, we've got Dave Micah saying we even tolerate a Catholic like Brian. <laughs> Listen, um, so tell me guys, the rest of the Christians they're nothing without us <laughs> um, so what you know do you take in new members is it like this lifelong thing and maybe the subtext of my question is who let Bill Maddox in 
<laughs> yeah, someone made the mistake of inviting me right after I got to town. And I got to tell you, it's one of my favorite things in all of Tallahassee. It's it's something I look forward to every week because it's uh, we read interesting books. We have interesting discussions and then the fr- friendships that have been formed out of it right. are very dear. Um, it's a it's a great group. But yeah, no, we have there, it's kind of a word of mouth, open invitation. We have people who come and go. Uh, some people will drop out for a book because it doesn't particularly appeal to them, but they'll come back for the next one. Um, but it's so it's an ever changing cast. But there are a lot of folks who've been at this for a long time, like, you know, Brian and Fred go back, I think, all the way to the very beginning or near the beginning in Fred's case. And and I've been with it 15 years now. And so it's a it's there's some core members that are longstanding, but also it's open to new people and it's always good to get kind of fresh blood that, um, you know, challenges us and gives us a different perspective. Let me say this. We've also, um, we've had some, I think some Buddhists and some uh, other Hindus and whatever come and talk to us, but we would love to have uh, some Muslims, some Sikhs, some, uh, you know, Hindus, Buddhists, whoever, we'd love to have all kinds of different people come and join us because we need uh, a diversity of opinion and uh, that would provide that for us. So if you're out there, come visit. Yeah. So who, who should they um, contact if they're interested? You, Fred? Any one of us. Any one of us. Yeah. Um, and also um, we're hearing in the chat also that Maddox is still on probation. He hasn't gotten the tattoo yet. <laughs> Okay, so tell me about the elephant in the room. Why is it all men? And is there something that comes of that that's important? I mean, we've talked about this a number of times, and I think a lot of us aren't, there's certain, I mean, clearly men and women are going to see the world completely different. And there's a certain amount of fellowship and camaraderie and um, among the men that makes it work. I don't know, Bill or Fred or Matt, you guys want to jump in, but it wasn't meant to be exclusive. It just took rolled that way. And that's the way we kind of kept it. So. So I guess one thing I'll say here is that I think that there is this kind of um, romantic notion that I see particularly on the political left that says, wouldn't it be great if all of us from various backgrounds, ethnicities, gender, you know, income on down, on and on, if we all kind of gathered and came together around a certain set of ideas. And I have to say that I share that longing and yearning in the sense that, you know, I'm part of a faith tradition that uh, speaks about how in the next life, people from every tongue and every tribe will worship uh, Jesus Christ. And so I understand that longing, but I also recognize that on this side of heaven, um, it's important for us to have um, gatherings where there's strong disagreement and where we can challenge one another. And this opportu- this group provides that. And in many ways, when people look at us and say, gosh, there isn't a lot of diversity here, I kind of scratch my head and say, what do you mean? Uh, where else do you find people from such wildly different spiritual backgrounds gathering to talk about some of the most important questions in life? And political and so, backgrounds too, right? Different political, like your different politics. political backgrounds and all the rest. And so, yes, do we share some things in common? Sure. We're all of the same general age group. Yes, we're all male, but but there's very stark difference. And so I guess what that says to me is diversity comes in different forms. We often think of it in terms of race, ethnicity, sex, whatnot, but um Viewpoint diversity is, in my mind, extremely important in in this life for us to get to the truth of things. And so this is a group that is full of viewpoint diversity. Anyone else on the all all men question? Matt, don't you you don't answer. You're going to you're going to have to hear my story about how I've been to skeptics. It's practically (laughs) on my resume. Um, (laughs) And it was, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven years ago. Has it been that long? But um, but I was really there essentially to drive John Height 
when he was coming to visit the village square the next morning, he joins the skeptics. And so I was really his wheels. And then I also brought books. So, but I enjoy, I, I enjoyed it. I felt welcome. It was timely. I think we actually were doing his book and, and it just, you at the at same the time. time. Yeah. Which was perfect. And we've had over the last 20 years in between books, a lot of times we'll have various speakers, you know, like we had, Bob Williamson, who used to own Honey Lake, who, you know, wrote the book uh, Miracle on Lucky Street. And, you know, and occasionally, I mean, people like him come. I remember that my conference room over on Miccosukee was, we must have had 40 or 50 people that morning. You know, just a lot of people were interested in his story. Um, Rabbi Romberg was a pretty regular uh, uh, kind of attendee. And we've had interesting we had, kind of we had, Pato, we had Pato Bantan, who's a reggae star, who was visiting. <laughs> he came and hung out with us one morning after playing. Did he, a sing, did he sing? No, he had. Uh, he was in town for a concert, but uh, he was staying at my house, so I asked him to come with us. And uh, he's he gave his uh, little spiel about why he is uh, a Urantia book reader. So there you go. We have a lot of different uh, uh, speakers. But also, we, uh, we take, everybody chips in to see what book we read. We always have these book debates on what we're going to read next, you know. And we've just gotten done reading uh, probably one of the better books we've done, which was Night uh, by Ely Wassell. Not sure if I pronounced his name right, but uh, really great, great discussions came out of that book. It's, I mean, it's a Holocaust book, but uh, yeah. I mean, some of the questions we ask ourselves, could we do the same thing in circumstances similar, you know? So there are a couple, there are a couple sort of related good questions in the chat thread already. And one is, isn't there, aren't there ways that being all men creates an echo chamber? And if so, in what way? Like, um, what do you think a, a visiting um, female or two might have to add to the conversation? And then um, second one is just if, if you're basically all Christian, which I think you are not, but but more you tilt that way, what are you being skeptical about? You know, one of the things that I think is the biggest question is all the religions seem to think that it's my way or the highway. And um that's not my perspective. I don't think that's Matt's perspective, but certainly some religions believe that if you're not with us, you're, you know, going to hell, et cetera. And that's something that we, we talk about a lot. And so my, you know, my, my view is there's many paths to God as there are people to walk them. So uh, no one path is going to be the exclusive way. Well, I was going to say we all we all in the Christian sect, I mean, we all worship the same God. The issue is all these man-made rules underneath, whether that's Catholic or Methodist or Protestant. I mean, so, you know, we argue all the time about the nuances. But at the end of the day, I think we're really on the Christian side. Now, it varies as you go further out, but it, it's been interesting. In other words, there are people there who really just don't don't agree with you at all. <laughs> Yeah, we, yeah, and here's here's the other thing too is there are a lot of folks that I would say are nominally something. They were raised in a particular faith tradition, but they didn't particularly in, embrace it or don't haven't really carefully thought about it. And so, a lot of times you get as the conversations unfold a lot of interesting disagreement, and there'll be times even when you know people will be um, uh, sharing a perspective that isn't in line with what you know, their original tradition taught or something. So there's a there's a great deal of diversity. There's no question that if there were women involved, that there would be perspectives not represented just because they women see the world differently. Uh, it, there, there's also um, this, there, there would be certain things that are said or that are discussed or certain language that's used in an all-male setting that probably would not um, happen in a female, if, if females were present. So there's something constructive, I think, about having, I mean, we can be a lot more direct, a lot more um, um, straightforward, I think, as men just interacting with other men than we would be if women were there. We would probably be better behaved in some respects, but we might not be quite as um, honest or authentic. Does that have anything to do with the uh, multiple testaments? <laughs> All right. Stop. Okay. Stop before you get me in trouble. 
<laughs> okay, he's already gotten you in trouble. No, this is a conversation that will not be explored further. <laughs> um, so have you all ever heard of in, in the village square that that would appear to be a can of worms uh, at, at the village square? One of our heroes is Robert Putnam, who wrote the book Bowling Alone, like in the 1990s, I think, or early 2000s and sort of identified part of our problem with social capital and social cohesion back then. But he talks about two different kinds of capital bonding social capital and bridging social social capital. And obviously the village square is in the business of bridging social capital. We want to have people to spend time with people who aren't like them. And it's a really important part of what we do. Um, but but there, there, it's not that bonding social capital doesn't have an important role in society, right? I mean, that, it, and again, you guys are bridging and bonding in different ways, but I think sometimes we kind of lose that we've got the both of them are really important parts of what we have to build around us. We have to be able to hang out with people who are a lot like us and be able to hang out with people who aren't like us at all. It's oftentimes, too, when we start, you know, we'll try and open with a prayer, finish with a prayer. But oftentimes, whoever's leading the group, we pass the responsibility around gets immediately sidetracked by whatever the news du jour is. You know, there'll have been some critical news issue and we all even see that completely different. And then we're off to the races about how that applies in our lives. And, you know, we try and keep dragging it back to more of a spiritual discussion, but too often it ends up being some kind of, you know, political uh, uh, discussion or, or, or news of the day. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. So. It could be you're one of the longest running actual conversations between people who don't agree on all these issues. It's not happening too much. Um, so, and then in the thread, apparently Sally Bradshaw of Midtown Reader has been um, to skeptics and she has no um, wallflower. So apparently you let her speak. So I, I, I have a bone to pick with all of you now. <laughs> Actually, remember we, we had a member who passed away and his wife was still on the email chain and she showed up because the topic interested her. And I don't think she quite realized that it was 15, 20 men in the room and we welcomed her and she came once or twice, but I think she quickly decided this wasn't something she wanted, but the, whatever the topic was, she said, well, I really wanted to hear this particular speaker or topic, um, but it was nice to have her, you know, so. Um. That's pretty cool. So what is your favorite part of skeptics? I mean, I'd say the relationships over the 20 years that have evolved, I think you, you've got a, a pretty disparate group of men that oftentimes socially don't interact in, in any other way. I mean, I'm looking around the room here, Bill, you and I have become better friends. I didn't know Matt very well until he joined the group. Um, and I could look around the room as far as the skeptics group going, you know, there's a, you've got all these touch points for people that generally wouldn't in their normal lives, see each other, know each other. And, and you've developed all these friendships in a lot of cases, pretty strong friendships, you know, because you can have those kind of discussions. Um, it, it's a lot better than just some surfacey neighbor that you wave to every so often type of thing. Cause you know a little bit about them. You understand what makes them tick and like village square, you know, for a long time we had breakfast. Now we, you know, it's kind of where everybody shows up with their own coffee. Um, but it works. Yeah. And, and I'll say that I think one of the best things that I've liked about it is that I have stereotypes that I've been fed about certain people or certain groups challenged in this. And I have to go and test and see, whoa, you know, this doesn't really hold true, or at least isn't true of this particular person that I know from that uh, faith tradition or whatnot. And then I have ideas that I have dismissed at times challenged. I remember we did this fascinating study of um, something called the Theology of the Body, which is a long uh, collection of essays that Pope John Paul II wrote. I'm not a Catholic, and there's a lot about the Catholic view of human sexuality that I expected to find issue with, and I certainly didn't uh, agree with everything. But I remember, for example, that at the very end of it, we had a... Um, priest who came to kind of summarize and wrap up our discussion, and he did this long presentation on why he believes in celibate, celibacy and, uh, you know, for the priesthood and what it represents and how it foreshadows um, uh, life in heaven and all this sort of stuff. And I realized afterwards that, okay, yeah, uh, celibacy is not something that I ever hope to practice in this life, you know, as a married man, but 
it has a lot of, there's a lot of legitimacy to the arguments that were being made, or at least some ideas that were being presented that um, were fresh and new that I had never heard before and don't know that I would have heard had it not been for a setting like this. But I'd like to make a note that it was 29 minutes into the meeting before Bill right. had some comment about just saying. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. I, 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 knew, I knew I was about to get in trouble there. So Is that longer than usual? Oh, no, no, it's never. not. It's yeah. a few minutes. And he brings it back to some kind of. So thus back to the why is it all men type of thing. Yeah, it's a little bit of, you know. So how about how about other stretch experiences that anyone has had? that you're willing to share? I don't know. I mean, we certainly have awful lot of differences of opinions and sometimes people just agree to disagree. I mean, there's you know one person in the room who's pretty pointed in their comments um, and it, that's okay. I mean, he's, he's pretty, you know, openly, uh, he, he, he holds his line pretty hard. There's no, there's no give on his point. Um, which I can appreciate, but it doesn't mean it has to be my, you know, I'm not dying on the hill for every one of his points. Um, and we move past it. Some people can't. And there have been a few people that said, I can't, I can't operate in that kind of environment. That's a, I, I think it's weak. My opinion, I think, you, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. So, but like we are prone to say, Bill of Square, you're not entitled to your own facts. And in faith, facts are debatable because, you know, look at all the different versions of what people believe in. So. One of the people in the chat room asked a question that kind of builds on yours, Liz, that I think might help to respond to yours. And that is um, the question is, can you give us examples of disagreements that you commonly have or that we might better understand kind of rather than dis disagreements among yourselves rather than among uh, those with guests that might come in like Rabbi Romberg did that day. And I, I think a recurring theme for some of the disagreements that we would have would be on kind of conceptions of God. Um, is, is it, you know, there's a, there's a kind of Santa Claus conception of God. There is a kind of schoolmaster's conception of God. There is a father conception of God. And so we're often pushing back and forth on some of that. And I think part of what we really enjoyed about this most recent book about the Holocaust was that it kind of disabused anyone of a Santa Claus view of God, because that clearly didn't square with the experiences of these people. Um, but we're constantly wrestling with this question of works and and grace and whether or not we are loved like a father in spite of ourselves or whether we are seeking to win the approval of a schoolmaster who we hope will give us a passing grade so that we can make it to the next life. And I'd say at least what I think about some of the um, push back and forth that I have with Fred, uh, perhaps, um, it often um, it is over uh, questions like that. Is, is God a father um, who loves us in spite of ourselves, or is he a schoolmaster who's hoping or expecting us to, to uh, get a passing grade based on our works? You know, there you go, misrepresenting my position again. <laughs> I was just wanting to get a rise out of you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't uh, take the position that God is some sort of, uh, you know, accountant making sure that we get everything in the right place. But I am of the position that uh, while God is a father, we're here on this planet to learn how to be better spiritual beings and to advance spiritually and, and let go of some of the material stuff. So we are here, uh, in my opinion, uh, and I think Matt can join in here because I think the Mormons are the same way. Uh, this is a school. We're in an educational process and we're going to have a lot of problems. That's why one of my main things is it's always something, you know, it's always something you got to deal with. So, uh, Matt, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, the Mormon perspective of this. Well, we, uh, similar to, to Fred, I mean, we, we believe in an all loving God. We're all his children. And so therefore he is, loves us as a father would in, in a perfect way, even that, uh, we can't even comprehend as, as fathers ourselves. But, uh, but along with that, uh, we do believe that there is a, a learning process in this life. We are learning to become more like him or more like his son, Jesus Christ. And so that encompasses everything that we strive to do in this life. 
and we fail, we fall, we come short and uh, we pick ourselves up and, and do again. We learn from the lessons of failures and, and uh, try to improve on our, our everyday lives and, and make the world better as we go throughout this life. Now, Matt, the Mormons, uh, you know, one thing I really admire about uh, the Mormon religion uh, is that you guys are all about service. And um, uh, you and I have worked a couple times on, but uh, when the hurricanes came, we pulled out our chainsaws and we've done some ramp bills and stuff. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you guys uh, prioritize the service aspect. So Liz mentioned the bond or the bridge. And the bond comes probably from the a community of, of your faith. The bridge, I think, is, is enhanced by service. Fred and I, or anybody that you serve with, any different, uh, any, any philosophies or differences of opinion that you may have, when you have a common goal to help your fellow man or woman, service bridges that gap and makes, makes uh, any differences of opinions immaterial because of what you're, what you're, the goal of trying to help somebody else. And um, I really like the concept of service. It, it, I've had some friends that I, I disagree with dramatically on things and, and um, some that caused me to be very upset and uh, well, they didn't cause me. I chose to be upset, but uh, I was very dis disappointed in some of the opinions. Anyway, when you serve with those people, it, you, all that stuff goes right out the window because you're, you're doing something for your fellow men. And in my opinion, I, in the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints is philosophy. You are practicing becoming more like Jesus in, in, the, in that act, in that activity. And uh, because you're doing that and you have a common goal that the, the mutual, you know, shoulder to shoulder effort bridges whatever gaps there are in differences of opinions. We also, Matt, Matt had the, um, some of the members of his church come in and talk about the temple that's being built for, I, I thought it was fascinating. I had a lot of questions about what does that look like? How's it going to be finished? How's it going to be run? You know, and that was pretty interesting in the grand scheme of things. So I'll, I'll simply add one other point of difference. It's a recurring theme is over the question of um, free will versus God's sovereignty. And to what extent are we, man is responsible for decisions and choices that he, uh, he makes and to what extent, uh, you know, just kind of how, where, how does, how do those two concepts uh, come into play? That's a recurring theme about which there are strong disagreements from all sides. So one question from the thread is, over the years, have you experienced and discussed the growth of a more nationalistic faith? Is that good, bad, or both? Hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know that that has been a theme that we have dealt with. It, uh, we try... I mean, sometimes it's unavoidable uh, to, you know, kind of steer clear of political conversations or, or, or at least topics that are politically driven. We try as much as possible to keep things on a kind of uh, religious, spiritual uh, plane rather than to delve deeply into politics. So nationalism strikes me as being a kind of more of a political topic than a spiritual one. So I don't know that that's one that we've explored greatly. What we have talked about, though, Bill, is that, you know, I'm strongly opposed to religion getting involved in politics. We've talked about how certain religious groups are affiliated with certain political parties. Now, that's really dividing people, which I think is is inconsistent with what we should be doing, which is bridging all gaps. And so, yeah, I think politics and religion is a problem. And we talk about it. Yeah, that's fair. All right, so y'all won't be surprised that Dave is trolling y'all in the chat here and there. <laughs> um, but, but so I have a very important question. Tell us about the Fred song. <laughs> All right, so I, I guess uh, let me kind of take the, the starter here. You know, they let me bring my guitar and play a song every week. And what happens is we have certain topics that we're, I know what chapter we're reading in the books and that sort of thing. And I'll try and find a song that is appropriate. Uh, and over the years, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, you know, most religions believe that the Savior is coming. It could be Jesus. It could be Maitreya. It could be uh, the Messiah or whatever. But everybody thinks there's going to be some 
extracelestial uh, uh, or extraterrestrial person come down to save them. So I played uh, Pink Floyd, Wish You Were Here. Uh, we also talk about sometimes about how, you know, wars and that sort of thing. So uh, I played uh, Your Flag Decal Won't Get You Into Heaven Anymore uh, by John Prine uh, and With God on Our Side by Bob Dylan. You know, sometimes we uh, so we have some gators in here. And so one time I played Won't Back Down by Tom Petty, because that's the, you know, Florida's using that song in their football games now. Um, and I changed the, the lyrics of certain songs, because this is one way I get my point of view across. Most people don't know lyrics anyway, so I just that stuff. I've had, in fact, Brian came up to me one time and said, I didn't know that song was said that. And I go, no, I made that part up. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on this song all my life. And I thought, well, I didn't really know that. <laughs> so last week I, I changed some lyrics to a Bob Dylan song and, and Bill chastised me saying, how can you change words from a guy who's the number one poet in this country? But um, I'll just give you an example. This was I Shall Be Released. I know if you know this song, I added a, uh, a an ending uh, verse to it that said, a broken man is on his knees. All his visions crashed and burned. It's only then he opens up his heart and finally to God he turns. So that's what I added to I Shall Be Released. But some of them are more specific to my point of view. So that's the Fred song. So, um, and you guys sing? We, we uh, will, that would be a stretch. <laughs> yeah, we, we will humor Fred and mumble along as he leads the singing. And there are a couple of guys who have really good voices that will sing. And I, but I have to say, when, when I first started coming to group, this group, I really thought this song thing was just kind of weird. And I couldn't, I didn't quite understand it. But I, it quickly won me, Fred quickly won me over. And it is now one of the things that I most look forward to because it's always kind of a source of amusement and sometimes of reflection because Fred takes a lot of care in choosing which song he sings that relates to our theme. And it just makes it all kind of lighthearted and enjoyable. It's a little reverent most days too. <laughs> and lucky us, he's chosen one for today. So I've done one that is consistent with, uh, I've sung this before, but I've done this uh, song by Sean Mullins, We All Give God the Blues. So I'm just going to do it real quick for you here. God don't hate the Muslims, and God don't hate the Jews, and God don't hate the Christians, but we all give God the blues. And God don't hate the atheists, the Buddhists, all the Hindus. Cause God loves everybody, but we all give God the blue. And God ain't no Republican, God's name no Democrat. God ain't independent, God's above all that. He's bigger than religion. Got a better plan. The sign says God's gone fishing for the soul of every man. And God don't hate the Muslims. And God don't hate the Jews. And God don't hate the Christians. But we all give God the blues. Yeah, we all give God the blues. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and a little bit of an abbreviated verse, but in any event, uh, that's that's what we do for Fred's song. We probably do give God the blues. <laughs> <laughs> Some, something we probably succeed at. So uh, uh, before I forget to ask this, because I really do want to ask it, do you have recommendations for anyone listening who's thinking about starting a group like this? So if they're in the Tallahassee area, we'd certainly welcome them coming and, you know, taking part with us and learning from us and, and doing a spinoff. We've uh, had a young group that, uh, a young guy that considered that at one point. And then I should also say that I am going to be doing a couple of book clubs this summer in conjunction with the Village Square that will be skeptics-like in some respects. One is around John Hyde's book, The Righteous Mind. 
and um, would welcome folks uh, who are interested in taking part in that. And you can sign up through the Village Square and I'll, we'll provide information for you from there. Yeah, and actually, Will, um, if, if I can just add, if you can go ahead and email me, Liz, at villagesquare.us, um, if you're interested, and I'll get you connected. No. And, and we, you know, it's same time, same place. We generally try and open with a prayer, end with a prayer. We honor the time, you know, so if we, we used to start 7, we moved back to 7.30 with COVID. And so it's 7.30 to 8.30. And some people stick around for half an hour, 40 minutes and chit-chat afterwards. But And some people come late and some people leave early. It's pretty fluid like that. But we try and open at the time, close at the time. And it's usually a topic most of us should have, you know, they've somebody blasts out an email and says, in fact, Dave does that now and says, hey, here's what we're reading. Here's who's got the chapter. And we go from there. And um, the discussion pings all over the place. And it takes usually just a few minutes before somebody loses complete control. Um, but it's an interesting discussion among a disparate group of people. It's 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 works. It works. One thing I'd say if somebody wants to start their own group is they, they have to be thick skinned. All right. Yeah. You can't have people be uh, too sensitive to debate. If you can't, if your truth is not susceptible to skeptical debate, then you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this at all. Yeah. Yeah. We've had some pretty good debates too. So how do you think the world would be different if we could somehow wave a magic wand and in, in, you know, our hometown, there were a hundred skeptics groups that were all diverse in different ways. Would it, would, would everything be different? I'll pipe in from a political perspective. Frankly, it's, it's awful watching what goes on in the political spectrum because there's such a lack of respect and a lack of pure facts. And it's just a mudslinging match too often. And people aren't willing to have a discussion about their differences. And oftentimes we're not that far apart. I mean, you know, you start way out on either side because you let the left and the right drive the discussion. It's what's lost in American politics today, though, I think. Um, and it's unfortunate because it, it slows the whole process down and we end up with a, a jumbled mess as opposed to some kind of cohesive, let's move the, the, the communities forward. So I don't expect, I mean, none of us expect to walk away and have completely changed our religious religious affiliation. But I, I like Fred mentioned earlier, I got a lot of respect for the Mormons, and I've learned a lot from Matt being in there. I, it, it, I'm a huge fan of what they do, and I and I you know and I would have never had that had I not you know had had the skeptics experience. So you know, so actually, you um, Brian are really are, are your relationships are one of the original inspirations behind the Village Square, and you talk uh, um, about your big Catholic family. Um, talk about that. Well, I mean, I and I use this when I came, when I was in the county too. I said I came in this chair and I gave a little speech, and I said, "Look, I came from a big raucous Catholic family. I mean, fight to the bone type of thing. It was a wide open brawl." And I said, my expectation is you have that type of discussion about the issues. But the minute it turns personal, we stop. And I gaveled a few meetings shut because what happened was the discussion went from a full on hard, hard charging discussion about whatever people's different opinions were to taking shots at each other, which is unfortunate in today's politics because everybody wants to make it personal. No, it's we all come to the world from a different place and we all have a different lens that we see things and that doesn't make one person right or wrong or good or bad it just means that's the way we see it and until you have the ability to sit down and talk about it in a civil tone about the facts like in village square you lose that and um I, you know i mean i just remember growing up we we fought like cats and dogs you sit down at dinner and you have you know, there's quick prayer and you have dinner and that was the way we we operated they, they're my brothers and my sisters i love them but there are points at which you know you, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's bothersome for me, at least watching what's going on in the political world today. It, and I think Village Square could answer a lot of those questions if we could overlay that onto a lot of what, what's going on. And Bill, you know, um, one thing I'd say, because Liz wanted to know if there were a bunch of these all around a community, why it would be beneficial. The thing that we build is community and relationship, and that is critical to uh, a society, really. We need to have a relationship with other people, even if they're on different sides of an issue. And I think that's one thing that skeptics would provide. 
And I think that's the key to success is the fact that part of the reason why our conversations, I think, tend to be focused on the issue or the topic or the idea and not a personal attack is because underlying it, we are we are friends. We've developed friendships. We've developed right. relationships. And even though we may not agree with someone at all, we nevertheless love and respect the people that we're engaged in this con uh, in, in this uh, conversation with, and that um, helps to separate the ideas from the individuals. And that's I think really important and something that we we don't see happening in a lot of political combat where it's just lobbying grenades at you know people and thinking the worst of each other and 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 engaging really with strangers, not with friends. Yeah. Fred pointed out earlier, if you don't have thick skin, I mean, everybody's jealous of the fact that I'm Catholic and they like to take shots at me periodically. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was I was telling Matt um, when we were bantering back and forth that um, one of my very closest friends from this work, and I even my husband refers to him as my work husband, is um, uh, Latter-day Saints. Um, he's, he's in Utah and um, I completely adore him. Our politics are completely different. One time we, we ticked through all the sort of the generally the things that just that divide us. We felt completely different on all those issues. Um, and our religions are different. And uh, still, he is one of the most important people in my life. And actually, after the January 6th um, events, he called me on the phone and he said he just wanted to talk to me. And only person, only call I got. Um, and so, you know, those relationships really do change everything. I, I can't hate people who disagree with me because of Jacob. And let me mention that in my perspective, relationships have a divine purpose and that you will be, you will know these people after this work. So, you know, relationships have more value than property. Because property you can't take with you, but we will know each other going forward, in my perspective. Um, so I'm going to throw a question from the audience, another question. Um, one of the critiques of Christians is that we spend a lot of time with people like us who believe what we believe. It's great that within this group, you all are going beyond that. But can you talk about how you take it outside of the group? How do, you, um, how do these discussions shape your daily life and interactions with the world around you? Matt, what about you, buddy? Well, I really think the, the way this is most effective is if we, we share those things that we learn in this class that help us, or not the class, but the, the group. Uh, if we share those things that we learn there uh, on how to bridge those gaps, friend those that are not, that don't have maybe common philosophies, serve with them, uh, learn from them. If we, if we use those things that we learn in this group, outside the world, and certainly we can make the world a better place in our everyday lives outside of skeptics. Um, skeptics is, is some ways a training ground for the way we can interact with the rest of the world on a daily basis. All of our other interactions should be, uh, you know, of a, of a similar uh, type. If, uh, if we have people that we disagree with, then, you know, hopefully we're able to have open dialogue with those individuals. Sometimes that's not possible because an individual may not be open to that, but um, to the extent that you can, the things that we are able to learn how to do in skeptics be, be disagreeable in a manner that is still friendly um, and, uh, you know, in an effort to help each other and in an effort to, you know, strengthen each other. Um, those kind of things can only help us in our everyday lives, you know, in our interactions with other people throughout the world. You know, I might mention that Skeptics have gone outside of the group to uh, assist other people. We've built a couple ramps. Uh, like I said, we did the hurricane thing. Uh, so we've been taking on service projects, which uh, also get us into the community with other people as well. So, yeah, And having, having a difference of opinion doesn't mean you don't like the other person. It just means it, I got a lot of respect for the guys in the room. And frankly, you know, I've learned to understand, all right, now I understand why they think the way they do or they see the world the way they do or they believe in what they believe in. I don't have to follow that belief, but I have a whole lot of respect for why, how they got there. And too often, I think in today's society, we immediately discount somebody who's not like us and we assume, well, then they're bad. Well, that's just a crazy assumption. So, 
this has been, it's broken down a lot of barriers and it's been a chance for us to, you know, really have some open and honest discussions. Like I mentioned earlier, I mean, I had a very distorted view of the Mormons prior to Matt being in the group. And frankly, I'm a big fan of all the things they do. As Fred pointed out, the service they do, it's, I mean, it's, it's commendable. So. Uh, one of you mentioned, this is a question from the audience. Um, one of you mentioned that a difficult conversation has sometimes helped to deepen a friendship in the group. Can you expand on that? Well, this most recent book that we've been dealing with with the Holocaust raises all sorts of really challenging questions about the problem of evil and, and you know, why uh, horrible things happen in this life and all the rest. And... Um, the, the book begins with a couple of folks who uh, go back to warn the, well, one who comes back to warn the Jewish community of things that he has seen because he had escaped uh, one of the concentration camps and he comes back to try to warn them. And then later when they are on a train headed to um, Auschwitz, they, they, there's a woman who kind of prophesies and sees into the future and starts screaming and wailing and is, uh, you know, talking of fire and brimstone and all the rest. And it, it I mean, these are really sobering sorts of uh, moments. And it, it, one of the guys in our group is, is someone who often is like that woman on the train and will say things that we don't like to hear. And there's a tendency on the part of some of us to want to tie him up and gag him much like they tied up and gagged that woman on the train. But we under but but one of the things that we had to confront was maybe this is someone that we should be listening to because he has seen something or he has insight that we need to hear and that we ought to consider. And so, um, you know, I think sometimes these challenging topics and challenging conversations help us to appreciate why someone who may seem like they're your worst enemy could in fact be your best friend who's trying to warn you of something or to tell you something that you need to know. Because the questions that we're dealing with are not just, you know, happy, light, um, trivial questions. We're dealing with the ultimate questions of life and of meaning and of purpose and why we're here and where we're going. And so it's important for us to wrestle with these things and to do so in a safe environment where we can, you know, consider different perspectives and and um, and be challenged. Anyone else? I was going to say that I, Fred and I are probably lightning rods from time to time, and and um, I have never felt it come from a place of of um, anything other than a place of love. At first, I took exception to this particular person that probably Bill talking about. And uh, once I realized that the, the, the place that he was coming from was a place of love and that he was concerned for my welfare and, and I understood that, it changed my entire outlook. Oh, we lost, we lost Matt, but hopefully he'll come back. Um, so any closing thoughts before we say goodbye to you for the weekend? We'd, we'd welcome anybody else that's got an interest in coming by and visiting. It's a pretty welcoming group and uh, love to have you just call one of us and we'll tell you how when it's Wednesday morning, seven 30, just give us, reach out to one of us here. Or, or reach to- out to Liz and Liz can connect us. Sure. Matt and Fred parting wisdom. It's all good. It's all going to work out. Don't worry about it. Um, Fred, by the way, um, uh, Dave says the song thing is very weird, but we always look forward to being tolerant of Fred. <laughs> we love Fred. We love Fred. We love his music. Matt? We just need to disabuse him of all of his strange ideas. That's all. <laughs> Said from a position of love. Matt, any closing thoughts other than? I, I just enjoy skeptics. I, I uh, it's talked a lot about just uh, dealing with people and how to, and what the best way to move forward is and, and you know, in this life and, and all the differences that we might have with individuals and, and um, how best to proceed. And I, I think skeptics, skeptics is a good uh, learning ground for all of us to, to, to know how to, to move forward. Thank you so much to all of you for making us a, a little um, part of the skeptics for this one hour. And thanks to all of you for joining us today. We've been at this for a long time and it wouldn't be the same without you. 
Bye, everyone. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Thanks Liz. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. Hey there. It's Vanessa back with you. Here I am once again, surprised by how much I personally needed this program. And why do I keep being surprised? That's a whole other topic. Anyway, if you're not quite ready to say goodbye to these guys, you're in luck. We have a fun closing for this show. We give Fred the last word, or really, I should say the last note. So stick around with us for just a couple more minutes for that. I am so thankful to these guys for showing us the way and demonstrating through their own experiences why it's so important to have spaces in our lives where we can explore these topics outside of our own echo chambers. And just like our recent episode with Alex Workman, who shows us how to break down divisions through coffee dates, this is another model that uses our best advice, gather in person, across differences, in a fun social setting, and use relationships as the foundation for making disagreements okay. I'm now on board with the idea that if we had lots and lots of skeptics groups of all types, near and far, this world would be a better place. Now, before I let you go, I want to share one thing that's been on my mind. When Bill spoke about diversity, specifically about some people saying their group doesn't have much diversity, he made the point that diversity comes in different forms. And he talked about the importance of viewpoint diversity. Well, the concept of diversity has been on my mind a lot lately. And I think Bill makes an excellent point. I think our expectations of diversity have become so appearance based. It's like, if you can see the diversity of a group from looking at a picture, you've checked all the boxes. So you're good. Ding, 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 success. We've come to a point where we think we can categorize people by looking at them. Like you have black or brown skin, or you look like you might be gay. You must be a Democrat. On the other hand, you're a Christian or you're a hunter. You must be a Republican. But wait, this voids out all the people who don't fit neatly into those boxes who don't feel like they fully identify with the other people in their box. So here's some questions I've been pondering. Isn't a broad goal of diversity movements to make everyone feel like they belong? And is it possible that by not allowing for complexity of thought and for crisscrossy categorizations, we're doing the very thing we're trying to combat? As I've been thinking about this over the last few weeks, I heard a guy speak about his own experience. This guy has Jewish roots, and he lost a good bit of his family in the Holocaust. He talked about how it feels to be dismissed because he's a white male, because he's part of a group of white males who are often talked about as the oppressors. It's like his personal experience isn't valuable and people don't want to hear his viewpoints. But you only have to peel back one layer to realize it's not that simple. And this all just makes me wonder, who is the judge anyway? Why have we allowed a common narrative to make this guy feel like his personal opinions and experiences don't have a place in our public square? Lots to consider here, and I'm just so thankful to these guys for being willing to share about their experiences and for doing the work in the first place. Here's Fred to bring it home with a song picked especially for us. So this is, uh, because this is Village Square, this is from the Village People. Young man, there's no need to feel down. I said, young man, pick yourself off the ground. I said, young man. Cause you're in a new town, there's no need to be unhappy, young man. There's a place you can go, I said, young man. When you're short on your dough, you can stay there. And I'm sure you will find many ways to have a good time. It's fun to stay at the YMCA. It's fun to 
have a good meal you can do whatever you feel young man are you listening to me i said young man what do you want to be i said young man you can make real your dream and i'm There you go, folks. <laughs> Thank you, Fred. That was wonderful. Let's hear it for Fred spreading around joy with his awesome song tradition. All right. If you eat this stuff up like I do, make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter so you're in the loop on everything happening at the Village Square. You can sign up at villagesquare.us and subscribe to Village Squarecast wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a review. They really do help. We appreciate you listening to this God Squad episode, The Skeptics Have Their Say. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon, and thanks so much for listening to Village Squarecast. Cast.